These are fun, off-the-cuff discussions on movies and streaming series, both new and old. Together, we'll attempt to bridge the gap between Hollywood Industry Insider and the casual viewer. This is Alec. And I'm Ben. And you're listening to the Cinema A to B Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cinema A to B where Ben and I get to talk about whatever we really want to talk about, whatever movie it's happening, and uh, you get to just join along and, and listen. So today, we are going to be talking about 2016's Taylor Sheridan's, and I'm going to speak on why I'm saying that, Hell or High Water. Ben, thoughts? So I just watched this prior to our recording, and I think it's only the second time I've seen this film. I enjoyed it immensely the first time, and it, is, it's a better, it was a better viewing, which kind of blew me away. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting to feel the same way about this movie that I did the first time. And no, I think it went up a few notches. It had been every bit of eight years since I'd seen it the first time. So I think that had to do with me being eight years older and eight years of looking at the world differently. And this may be one of the last great modern American Westerns along with Wind River and then mm-hmm. Yellowstone. And what, what yeah. do they all have in common? Sheridan. Taylor Sheridan. I mean, I'd even say Sicario is kind of a neo-noir Western in, a, in its own vein. And to speak on it, like, I know this was not directed by Sheridan. Sheridan did direct Wind River. That was his first. And so they everyone talks about, or not everyone, but like it's talked about that Sheridan has like this three movie arc of the you know, American West and it's Sicario. It's this movie and it's wind river. And I say this movie is Taylor Sheridan's because this feels very similar to wind river a lot. And the director, while he's done other stuff has not, this is kind of like the biggest thing he's done. And I can having seen thing, seen episodes of Yellowstone, having seen other movies by Taylor Sheridan, by other stuff that he's done, he's written, created. This feels like he had his hand in it. Um, the entire way, entire process. Like he didn't want to direct, but he definitely kind of pushed the envelope and kind of pushed his narrative, how he wanted it to be seen, how he wanted it to be done kind of a thing. So, I, and, you know, obviously I think he was a producer on it as well, um, which would obviously make sense, but this was, um, I, well, actually, no, he was not a producer on this, on uh, hell or high water. I do know like after Sicario, and this, he really got some acclaim and that's where he was able to start pitching some of this other stuff that he was doing. So I saw this again today. I rewatched it. I mean, that was, I've watched, we're in the same yeah. boat. This is fresh. This yeah. is as fresh of it as anything I think we've discussed. I will say that I've seen this movie multiple times. I adore this movie. I really like Sicario a lot. I love Denis. I love Deacons. I think that movie is absolutely amazingly shot well, but out of the Taylor Sheridan trilogy or any, any he's really done. This is my favorite of his just everything about it is great it, for, to me. Like when I sit down and watch it, it's one of those, it, I, I don't say it's a guilty pleasure because I don't feel guilty watching it and it's not a happy movie, but there's just something about it. Like this is on rotation of like, where I'm like, I want to throw something on the background or just, you know, I have 20 minutes. I don't like, I'm not in a show. I'm not doing whatever, like what I want to watch. It's like this, the big short, um, 
I mean, obviously oceans is always kind of, uh, in the back burner, but like, there's a couple of stuff that's always kind of like, I just, you know, I watched 20 minutes of it and like, I'm happy, you know, and just there's certain moments I really enjoy. And this movie is happens to be one of them that really kind of hits hits for me. I probably prefer wind river. Okay. Um, that one's a brutal film. I mean, that one is more brutal than this. Yes, it is. It is. This moves much better. The pacing on this film is, is easy. It's an easier watch than wind river, but I just, at first glance, I think I probably would still give wind river the nod as as my favorite of kind of all the stuff he's done. But this feels much more like a classic American Western. And Mm -hmm. I know we've had conversations about that genre before where it's like, Oh, everybody's sick of Westerns. And it's like, yeah, I think people are kind of tired of like the traditional Western with, with horses and cowboys. And yeah, I think, I think that's kind of been beat to death, although enough time will pass and then it'll kind of come around again. But specific genre of a Western which technically Star mm. Wars, a new hope is a Western that mm. genre still works. And yeah. this movie is proof positive of, of why that formula still is so good. And I was watching it again, you know, like you said, you watched it today. I watched it today as well. And it was, I was just awestruck watching it going, yep. He just, he's replaced um, Ford and Chevy pickup trucks these could easily be guys on horseback and mm-hmm. the Texas Rangers, the Texas yep. Ranger and yeah. And the homestead is the homestead. And it was pretty wild to watch it a second time through that lens of, and then even the way that the cinematographer was framing certain shots, like on that front porch was like, yeah, I've seen, I've seen that shot a million times in the great mm-hmm. Westerns from the, the forties, fifties and, and in the sixties the the film is beautiful and yeah it is and the cinematography is very deliberate and they hold on shots for a while there there's not a rush to jump into the next setup unless it's one of the you know action sequences which they do very well it was it was a better second viewing and i couldn't believe it because i i knew now where everything was headed and it still yeah. was a was a better watch so yeah i think I think this film's a little bit underrated when I go onto the movie database and see that it sits at 7.6. I think this is definitely an eight to an eight, two is probably where I would put it. Yeah. And yeah, shout out to, to Taylor Sheridan uh, from uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Yeah. At least he was born there. Right. Um, his, his material doesn't feel like a guy that grew up in, uh, in Carolina, but in Chapel Hill, um, yeah. yeah, especially That's not okay. Chapel Hill. <laughs> but yeah, this guy's got a command of of what kind of makes a western, and it's it's not merely the trappings of of horseback, and it's it's deeper than that. It's it is yeah. at its core. This is another film about family, a family. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I l- really enjoy about this film from a writing standpoint, from an acting standpoint, is that I really don't know who to root for. Like, that's the hardest part is, you know, like on one hand, like obviously the antagonist is Texas Midlands Bank. Boom, done. That's the only, but other than that, like I don't, like you would think like obviously with uh, Chris Pine and Ben Foster who 
both do have amazing chemistry together the entire time. And Ben Fo- this is my favorite Ben Foster role of all time. I think I, I think he's actually a very underused, undervalued actor. But in this, it just shows me because on the surface, I should dislike his character. And I he's abrasive, he's egotistical, he is, you know, just th- that guy who I I hate. But his love for his brother, his willingness to do whatever for family, there's just something and in the interplay between them. It, there's just something that draws you in that you kind of are like, he's the crazy uncle, you know, you know, he's crazy, but he's family like, you know, or whatever. And th- there's just that kind of bond that just draws you, draws you to it. But then on the flip side, it's not like I'm upset at the the rank texas rangers like it's not like they're the antagonist like i want them to win too because obviously they're the good guys trying to stop this you know stop you know these things and you know people die and things of that sort so it's it's sheridan really does a fantastic job of just drawing you into these characters of making you want to root for them even though they're diametrically opposed that they are actually against each other and so few movies do that like i mean we you know we talk about usual suspects like I'm 100% sided on the the criminals and have no um no desire to root for uh agent uh, Kuyan or, or I forget it, I forget his name but I think that's correct. But Sheridan just kind of toes that line of doesn't let you like basically you have to decide if you're rooting for them or not because he's going to make them likable. Yeah, it's it's morally ambiguous to an extent and mm-hmm. which is very much more in line with real life. And yeah. there's something with these bank heist films because the same is true of Heat, and then mm-hmm. the same is true of The Town as well, which the town mm-hmm. the town predates this by six years, and they do share some similarities with kind of a, a protagonist on the wrong side of the law. Similarities kind of stop there. These this film stands well on its own apart from The Town and apart from frankly Heat, and it goes beyond the setting. But to your point. You know, I noticed something with with Ben Foster's character, Tanner, um, that I never noticed before. And I don't know why I didn't notice it. But after Bridges kills him up in the Mm -hmm. hills and he and he slumped over, there's a rattlesnake at his feet. Yep. And there is. (laughs) I don't know why I didn't notice that the first time, but it was almost like the laws of nature were upon him and he was going to meet his end either the end of that bullet or the freaking snake was going to get him. And I don't know why I missed that the first time, but I was like, Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. It's almost like the universe was, was tilted towards him and he, and he knew it. And it was just like, no, I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory. So, and everybody's got these limits that they'll go to, that they're willing to go to. And he doesn't really have any. And then contrast that with Pine's character, uh, Toby. And who is very ba- who have very distinct He didn't boundaries. want to take a life at all, but he did set these things into motion. And mm-hmm. so it's like, you're right. It's, it's this, you're going to wrestle with the moral questions that this movie raises. And I think that's the power of the film is that well, after the credits roll, you're like, man, I, yeah, I don't know. Still thinking about it. I mean, to this day, I still, I still wonder in my mind, what happens in that next meetup between Chris Pine you know, and so it's one of those of like, like, you know, what's happening? Like, what's is 
I don't want like if you haven't seen it, like I don't want to spoil too much. Well, but no, like, no, 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 no. Meet up between no. Two, the film's yeah. eight years old. We're we're playing spoiler. Yes, yeah, yeah, so we're not. We're going we're spoiler, spoiler free on a film so, made in twenty sixteen. Like, yeah. Is Jeff Bridges just going to go there and they're going to talk, or is one of only one of them going to walk Bridges away? Bridges like, hinted at that. Is like he's like maybe yeah. I'll give you your piece, and then Bridges yeah. is like, well maybe I'll give you, you yeah, I'll yours. Give you your piece, yeah. So that's yeah. So it, it's this is the type of dialogue that I talk about with friends where like that. I'm frustrated in certain movies, especially some of, you know, some of the recent Star Wars ones where I'm feeling like the dialogue is just there. And I don't need dialogue to be super serious. I don't need dialogue to be like it has to be ushering in something momentous, like a big, big speech. It just needs to be very poignant, very purposeful, kind of not just let's throw in words to do stuff, but like everything that's said in this film either has weight or has purpose of why it's being said. It's not just filler. And, and, I, and, and Sheridan is great in all of, all of his films that he's done this in. And I really do like wind river, wind river a lot. It is, I've seen it a couple of times and it's, I mean, it's brutal every single time I see it. This one is just for me a little bit more rewatchable. And there's something about, like I said, the interplay between Chris Pine and Ben Foster is really good of how, Chris Pine is like the antithesis of Ben of uh, of to- Toby is the antithesis of Tanner. If like, he's so reserved, so quiet. So, you know, kind of just take the, not to take the world as it is, but kind of like, he's going to take his beatings until there's a point where Ben Foster, you know, as Tanner is just the moment, like someone, th- you know, throws hands, he's going to be in the mix with everybody and going to be like, nope, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to punch somebody out myself. I'm going to do, I'm going to get, get mine. I'm going to take care of this. And it's, it's just so interesting to see the two of them play off each other. Cause they do so well. Cause they do play like brothers. Like it feels so real. Like they could actually be brothers in real life of the way they're acting to each other. Man. I mean, it's all, all, like one of my one of my like little little scenes is when they get back and and Ben Foster grabs a beer, uh, you know, t- Tanner grabs a beer from the refrigerator, and Toby walks in. And he's just like, "I don't, I need you sober." And he and Tanner comes back. And he goes, "Who gets drunk on beer?" You know, and it's it's like like th- this is a conversation they've had before. Like this is stuff that they the dialogue in the before. film is super super quick and and witty. Yeah, and Bridges' interaction with with Gil <laughs> is just hysterical. It's, and yeah. unfortunately they have that, that funny exchange in the hotel room where he's just really getting on him, making, yeah. making Indian jokes and then switching to Mexican jokes and which is just hysterical, <laughs> super politically incorrect, which I love. And it's, yeah. but it's done in a really like fun manner, but he tells him, he's like, you know, when I'm dead and gone, this is what you're going to like chuckle about. These are the stories you're going to tell about me. And yeah. unfortunately, that just isn't true because no. Tanner kills Gil. And that, and yeah. really, that's the moment where you're like, yeah, Tanner's got to go. Like, even as a, yep. as a, even as an unbiased viewer, you're just like, no, his, his time is up. Like, this guy, this guy just He's loves carnage. And mm-hmm. now I, I did, there's another thing that I just, I just noticed and because, and I should have recognized it because it's in my stomping grounds or at least close to where my parents are, but the old man in the bank who's got the gun, mm-hmm. that's yeah. Buck Taylor from Gunsmoke. So super <laughs> funny cameo. Awesome. Yeah. That's Buck Taylor. 
And the only reason I know that is because um, a couple hours from me, Dodge City Casino re- used to run an ad campaign with Buck Taylor in it, like probably five or six years ago. And so, yeah, that's that's the old man. And <laughs> so, you know, you have like a king of Westerns in a modern American Western. And then they ask you, like, yeah. you, you got a gun on you? He's like, oh, hell yeah, like, of course I got a gun. You got to rob that too? <laughs> Uh, I mean, it, it, it's so fun, the interplay kind of some of these, you know, these people from West Texas or whatever. And like when um, uh, when Jeff Bridges t- is talking to the truck driver, right, like right near the beginning or whatever, he's like, because they don't want to find me. They'll be at the the, you know, the short end of a long rope or or they'll be at the wrong end of a short rope or something yeah. like that. And he's just like, well, that, you know make it easier for everybody but you. He goes, yeah, if you can find the tree. And he's just like, I love, West I love Texas. West Texas. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, it's, yeah, yeah. It's just this, like this fun interplay. Um, it's so the yeah, dialogues, Woody, the acting is fantastic. Pretty much from everybody. Fun little fact. You know, I find it for those people who don't know, like movies very rarely get shot in sequential order. They're usually all over the place because if they're at a location, they're going to shoot all the scenes at that location, those kind of things. But so the scene with, uh, Chris Pine and Jeff Bridges. That was Chris Pine's last day and Jeff Bridges' first day. So like that, that scene between the two of them. So there was like, and that's the only scene they, sh- they share together. There's no other scene they share together. So it's pretty much like Jeff Bridges is only in scenes with, with, ta- with some of the townspeople and with, with Gil, you know, very rarely does he actually, I mean, like he's never technically in the same frame, even with, with Ben Foster's character, Tanner. And one of the things I think it also does is because there's not long breaks in between where you're shooting with this other person, you can build that bond. You can kind of maintain that working relationship, that friendship. It's easier to get back into that feeling and build upon it as opposed to like, hey, we're shooting together for, you know, a week at this location. And then they're shooting at other locations that one of us is not in. We don't see each other for, you know, a couple weeks to a month and they get back in and it's like, Hey, you got to build that back up. But if you're shooting day after day or like week after week, kind of consecutively, then it's nice balance of kind of continuing to build upon your working relationship and building on that friendship, which then obviously affects your acting style and how you can build that. And I think that's one of the main reasons why, you know, Jeff Bridges and Gil do such a great job together. And then obviously why Ben Foster and Chris Pine do such a great job together. I mean, this is, it's just outstanding and I'll stop with the acting, but it's, this is, it's just really good. No, all, yeah, all no, I kind of want to continue with the acting because you won't see Chris Pine deliver this kind of performance more of a res- reserved, controlled, restraint performance. Mm-hmm. You know what he's asked to do a lot is is be the fast talker, and which mm-hmm. he's very good at. Obviously, good, yeah. famously, probably best known as as Kirk. But um, the other film that he he did where it's closer to this is, but it's a little more animated, is Unstoppable with with Denzel, mm-hmm. and he plays he plays more of a down on his luck character in that as well. But there's more, there are more outbursts from him than this, because even when he's frustrated with Tanner, <laughs> it's more of just like, yeah, a, <laughs> it's more of just like, son, son of a bitch. like he's, he's yeah. like talks me into doing this again, or he's like gone and robbed this other bank while I'm like talking with the waitress, which is just a hysterical yeah. <laughs> turn of events. That, it, yeah. yeah. And Ugh. it was really interesting that they got, um, 
Katie Mixon to play the waitress. Cause she's, mm-hmm. I mean, she's a really well-known actress. She had a longstanding mm-hmm. sitcom, um, I think on ABC and has, you know, has been in, uh, what four Christmases and, and then Eastbound my favorite is Eastbound and down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she's great. <laughs> and so they get her for just a quick role, but she's, she steals the scene, Kills obviously. It. And it's like, yeah, you go and take your tip. I love what he tells Gil. Like, <laughs> yeah, I want you to go back there and get a description and then, t- and then collect take her $200. <laughs> and those old guys at the, at the table are like, yeah, good luck with that. But yeah. it was really interesting yeah. though. Jesus Cause fuck. none of those guys or her sold out Pine's character, Toby. Like they, no. none of well, them, I mean, they gave no, de- like no description of him at all, which was really interesting. The, the only pothole I was trying to find again was like their prints were all over that, like Ford Bronco, like that truck, the one that he torched, but then he torched it. So it was like, Nope, yeah, explain yeah. that away. That works fine. So, yeah. Cause that was the only one that didn't get buried basically. Buried. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's one of those things where, and, and going back to the diner, people of why um especially the like that group of like old old gentlemen like three or four old gentlemen or whatever is when the uh when you know the texas rangers come in stuff like that and jeff burgess is talking to him he's just like you know that's the bank that's been robbing me for the past like 20 30 years or or i I forget exact line but it's one of those like there's enough hate for the bank and enough frustration that they kind of want to see it get hurt. And so they're not going to like throw someone else on the bus. And so this is, it's this interesting balance of like, how far are you willing to let something get hurt because it has hurt you kind of a thing. And so it's this, this interesting balance. So I didn't notice the first viewing as much the, all the billboards were like with like debt relief or fast Mm -hmm. cash or, and then all the for sale signs. It just, I was, I was oblivious to it in the first viewing. I just, and I don't know why I just was less sensitive to it. And mm-hmm. compared to some other films where they might be set in, you know, more of a depressed area, but yeah, that's the major theme is that these banks have been, and what opens on the first frame for crying out loud, they on the yeah. side of the Midlands bank is that spray paint of like, you know, multiple tours in Iraq, but no bailout for us but the film isn't really that preachy. Like it's there, but the story is really good. The script is really good. The The bones of this are solid. It It mm. isn't just a vehicle for a let's fight the man. Let's get one past the man. Like there's more going on there because this film could yeah, easily there. fell into that of like just coming across as more of a shallow kind of preachy anti Wall Street well, kind, I mean, of, even, kind of film. And th- I mean, Sheridan does this really well because obviously even his – in Wind River, he's kind of has that a very distinct kind of message he's trying to get across. But it never comes across preachy at all either. I would even say in Sicario, he has a, me- a political message or – not really political, but like a, a message that he's trying to get across and it doesn't feel preachy. It's subtle. And it's there and it's present. Like it's, it's not like it's hidden. It's definitely out there, but he's not trying to beat you over the head with it. He's just like, this is what I'm telling a story about. He could be confused for being preachy in this stuff because Yellowstone's Mm -hmm. been accused of the same thing, but I don't think it's there. I, you Mm -hmm. know, I've watched a little bit of that show and I think 
the subtext is certainly there, but it's, it's good storytelling too. There's definitely something he wants to get across, but he still makes his story engaging. He still puts in good dialogue where it's not beating you over the head of it. And I'm going to talk about the, the flip side of the coin of where there are, you know, you're talking about the beating you over the head of it. It's not great writing, but if they're trying to like, just push the message. The other half of that is we're just doing spectacle that we're just doing how many bullets, explosions, spaceships can we fit into screen and not care about the dialogue? Because, hey, all this, they're going to be so wowed by this, they're not going to care about the dialogue. And that's been some of my biggest problems with, especially with 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 science fiction and some fantasy that's come out, specifically Star Wars stuff, where they're, they just care about the spectacle. How great is the CGI or how cool can we make this shot and less about the characters and dialogue? And so there's like, it's not that it's difficult, but it is, it takes effort to make good dialogue, to make good story choices, to make good beat choices and not kind of go this route of being like, let's just save ourselves for the spectacle or let's save ourselves for the message and, but still hit, but hit these beats. Like you can still have some spectacle. You can still have your message. But if you tie it up in a boat, you have a much better movie, better TV show than kind of what's coming out most of the times now. Yeah, well, and and they're the streamers, Disney, they're all gonna they're all gonna course correct here with the money they've been spending. And so the odds are good that you're gonna start seeing more stuff like this just because it's it's more affordable to make. I mean, they've mm-hmm. run out of money yeah. basically. Like the Marvel, the Marvel train is slowing down and it's, it's for a whole host of reasons, but my guess is we're going to start to get more smaller films that have been put through the ringer and they still, you know, they still might have, they'll, they'll still have underpinnings of, of a political or some other messaging, which stuff's always had that, but it's always been, yeah, it's not new. No, but it's always been second or third or fourth or on down on the list behind a good story or good or, or, or at least entertaining, right? Like entertainment should be priority one. And I don't, I feel like we're coming out of a window of time where entertainment's not been necessarily always priority one. And, and I'm not, but I'm, again, I'm not talking about the top one or 2% of directors or writers The, the, those folks get greenlit pretty much whatever they want. And, but I'm talking about beneath that, which encompasses a lot of network television and then some streaming projects as well. Mm-hmm. It's the quality is just not there, but I think they're, run, I think well, they're running out of money. They might not be given another choice then to do stuff like, like hell or high like water. This. Well, I just, I just, uh, read an article that was talking about the fact that Netflix itself is saying that it's changing to focus on quality and not quantity, which it's obviously it's been producing so much. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I think some of that is problem is, you know, the majority of that is exactly what you said. It's the bottom line is they're realizing that are, that if you don't have that, those tentpole TV series or movies, no one's going to care. And they're going to drop you, even though you have hundreds of shows, hundreds of movies, because they're all trash. I mean, some people don't care. Like some people obviously, don't care as much as we do about this, but, but anyways, hell or high water. They made it for 12 million, by the way. Whoa. Holy so, cow. Yeah. Do we know how much with the box office was? Yeah. It did 27 million in the U S and Canada and another okay. 10.9 right. in some other 
So the worldwide total was mm. 37.9 million against a production budget of 12. Okay. And it wasn't, didn't have a heavy marketing campaign. No. So, and the thing obviously has got legs. Like we're, I mean, we're, yeah. this thing is eight years old, but I mean, obviously we're talking about it today, but this thing's a nice fixture on streaming platforms it's for good. rent or like I said today, mm. I just watched it on Peacock. And I was frustratingly mm. had to had to subscribe to Peacock because my wife's a Kansas City Chiefs fan, <laughs> and we had to watch the playoff game yesterday. Sorry to those of you that are Dolphins fans, <laughs> but I checked it and I was like, "Oh, Heller High Waters on Peacock." Why I don't yep. own this, I don't know. And I know we've discussed that before, but like, I need to, I need to course correct yeah. myself for owning physical media. And this yep. is easily one that should be in my collection. There's so much about this. I, like you talk, okay, I'm going to talk a little bit about the cinematography and obviously it's West Texas. So it's pretty flat. It's pretty, very monochromatic in a lot of different ways. And there's something, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because obviously this is not my, but it feels like they've undersaturated the colors a lot. Like they're not a, a ton, but it definitely doesn't feel um, it's not definitely not oversaturated. Like the, everything feels a little muted. Feels a little, dare I say it, depressed um, in the color gamut. But it works. It still is visually interesting. It's still like, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I don't, if you've got another thought on that, I go ahead. I, no, I'm just curious. So I'm, cu I'm now curious what you're well, going to say. <laughs> I'm going to say yes and no because yes, the the environment is is got less saturation and is more Browns echoing very much a dust bowl kind mm. of feel for very, yeah. very good reason. And then, but the skin tones I think do have good saturation. Um, mm. okay. honestly, when I watch this, the, the look of it is the color palette is not unlike that of no country for old men. Yes. And so a lot of it is the environment. It's not just the color grade. It's, it's the fact that they are shooting in the middle of the country in, in mm. Texas. And yeah, there's not a lot of green. It's, it's mm. a lot of cow pasture and wheat fields and, and ranches and that mm. with a lot of Browns and it does feel appropriately depressed with that kind of yeah. Brown color palette. So I do, but I think the, if I'm not mistaken, this was shot digitally. I don't think this was shot on mm. film. Yeah. And it's only a 2k, uh, for all you 4k snobs, the, the airy raw was like 2.8k and then it was digitally mastered at 2k. So resolution 4K. is, uh, okay. is not the end all be all. It is dynamic range and color information and there. Mm. Resolution falls so far down the list of what makes a great image. It's not even funny. Like this whole 4K obsession is just. Ben, I want my 8K. Come on, man. See the difference. It's like real life. You want to have, a, Except you're gonna have, an, you're gonna have an aneurysm no. from your 8K television. Just <laughs> No, because you don't have enough like what uh, receptors in your, uh, your eyes mm -hmm. for 8K. Like not, well, you have like. No, not really. No. Well, because they're split in the thirds because it's like you have what red, green, blue and you have and you're you have less, I think, less, less um, cones and pixels for 8K. 
And like even in 4K, like each one of those pixels can be all those colors where your eye can only like has thirds of everyone. So like, again, it's when people are like, oh, my goodness, I can see like, no, you probably can't. No, anyways. In fact, yeah, like I was researching projectors again. Nothing's wrong with my projector. It's fine. It's fine. It's like a it's a business projector marketed as a home entertainment projector. So like the contrast isn't as good on it, but you've seen it. The image is still so good. It's HD. It's great. And I'm looking at these 4K projectors, but then there's a, there's another BenQ that's HD, but it's got an LED light source that lasts Ooh. like way longer than life, the life of the projector. And then the contrast on it is like 50, 60,000 to one and the black levels are oh. true black. And so I, I go and research it and they basically said, yeah, there's no, and this projector is a thousand dollars. And there is no 4K projector that has black levels that does what this does until like four grand. Yeah. So it's like, if I upgrade it, I'll probably just stay with HD. So no, that was a a super crazy tangent on resolution. Tangent on it. So, I mean, resolution definitely actually, you know, does help in some regard. You know, obviously standard def to, to normal HD it's huge. I would say that there is visually some stuff to 4K, but it just starts to peter out of, like you said, of what matters, of what makes you see what is a good image. But going back. Yeah, this is a beautiful film. Yeah, beautiful. And it's in that 235 yeah. widescreen, and, and the framing mm-hmm. is just exquisite. It, from, it's, from the first frame to the last, it's perfect. It is textbook on how to frame for for ultra. Well, it's not even ultra, but widescreen the wider screen format. Yeah. The way he fills the frame is yeah. perfect every time. It it doesn't really do anything crazy. Like there's not there's not really any camera movements that are like, "Oh, I haven't really seen that before." But don't mistake that for like paint by numbers. Mm-hmm. It's high-level cinematography. The the lighting, the framing, and then the edit just goes the yeah. edits in an invisible edit, which is, which for me means that the edit is like completely on point because I don't really notice it. And, and I do, I think it's underrated. Oh, highly, highly underrated. It's, I really, really enjoy this film a lot. And again, not because it's a happy movie because there's, it's one of those things that I, when I see something really good, I just want to continue to consume it and find new things or see new things or just revisit some of those those moments like the whole when tanner's at the casino the first time and he's playing poker and he has that kind of run with the comanche and that whole kind of discussion that dialogue there is so great like it 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 feels it has so much weight, but my, one of my favorite things is they bring it back at the end, right before he dies, where he just goes, Lord of the Plains, you know? And it's like, it's, it's, uh, these characters have arcs and, and it's huge of like, these characters do move forward. They get changed by what happens in the film, you know, or realize their potential or realize, I mean, and for, you know, Tanner, that was, Look at me running from the law, you know, not getting caught, you know, kind of a kind of situation. He yeah, he just seemed to innately know that his thirst for not following the law would ultimately catch up with him. What? And yeah. and he and then when he knew that that could save his brother, he jumped at the chance. It's as much redemption as that character would, was going to have was leading everybody on a wild goose chase. 
away from pine, but yeah, I agree with you. I think foster is definitely, there's a theme here of being underrated. And I, and I always have felt that Ben Foster is, is one of the more underrated actors in, in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. I don't know that he can carry a film. Um, nobody's really seems to have given him that pure opportunity to do so, but he steals the scene basically in everything he's in. I mean, it's a good movie, but Lone Survivor, he just runs circles around Mark oh. Wahlberg as an actor. Like it just, does. just runs circles around him. And I don't, I don't hate Mark Wahlberg and Mark Wahlberg's not a bad actor, but hmm. Foster's but constantly operating on another level. Now Pine yeah. matched his performance. Like Pine really mm -hmm. brought it. And so I, I give him a lot of credit. And then Bridges, like Bridges gives you that like different kind of, speech pattern in this that's so much different from everything he's in that it he does feel like a different a different individual you know gill is in yellowstone so sheridan mm -hmm. yes brought him brought him back um and he actually is comanche yeah yeah for real so after this the director did outlaw king um which i haven't seen yet and chris pines i've seen it, that so. film yeah oh okay yeah it's um good to know. It's okay. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's it's all right. It's, this is the quick the, the quick in in review review. Uh, of, yeah, uh, this is like a microcosm. <laughs> it's Anyways, it's all right. This happens a lot when we talk. Yeah, it's okay. Um, it's okay. Yeah. I I th I think yeah. it's worth again. A, I think it's worth a watch. There's potential there. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll we'll we'll, we'll bypass that. <laughs> um, to oh. Cause wasn't that, was that Netflix? I, I felt like, Al yeah, it was, I think it was Al Netflix. King was Netflix. Yeah. yeah. I always got that one confused with the King for a while. Oh, um, which is, which is fantastic. Yeah. No, Al King is not great. the King. Not the King. <laughs> it's not. Okay. No. And for those of you listening, they don't know where we're talking about. The King is, uh, Timothy Chalamet on, uh, on Chalamet. Netflix as well. And we, you also had Joel Egerton. Joel and Egerton, like have. basically it was his pet project. Yeah. yeah. And that is worth a watch. Yeah. Oh, and it has, oh my goodness, his name escapes me, played Batman in the most recent Batman. Um, oh, awesome yeah, Twilight. And, and yeah, yeah. Robert yeah, has a nice, who, has a nice, just, like a scene stealing scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we, just, just we could just, dis we could discuss the King at some point, but <laughs> <laughs> we will, we will, we won't do that looking anyways. So I guess we can talk, you have anything else for hell or high water that you wanted to no, hit? Or no, something I, that, that, no. That, and, that, and I think, for listeners that haven't seen this, you know, we spoiled everything, but I, yeah. I can't apologize <laughs> to that because, again, this this thing's been around almost a decade. If you like other ta Taylor Sheridan stuff, if you like Yellowstone or 1883 or 1923 or 1757 or, you know, 965. <laughs> I don't know. He's got so many now, these offshoots. I mean, hey, print money for you, Taylor. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, great it's, job. It's amazing when you can generate your own work like this and you and, and this guy paid his dues. This guy's been around for a long time. He's had had those mentors, and obviously it, it shows. Um, the only thing is, is the, the kind of fun fact: he was an actor for yeah. a while before he was a writer, and he he is the um, 
cowhand the on the on the horse yes they in in this yeah movie. he's like it's, so. it's the what do you say is it 21st century and i'm i'm like running away from a fire like across <laughs> i'm running to, i'm running to water from you know away from a fire it's like no wonder my kids don't want to do what yeah. i do <laughs> yeah it was this perfect microcosm of like yeah. a dying way of life well that was 2016's again taylor sheridan's Hell or high water. Well, we uh, we appreciate everybody listening to another episode. We will uh, we will join you all next week with something else out of the uh, the bag that I don't really know at this moment <laughs> what it'll be because we just we record we'll these it. and then and then we just get to pick the release order and it's not always the order that we've recorded them in. So I can't really yeah. tell you always what will be next week, but we appreciate everybody <laughs> listening for sure. Yes, we do. Thanks, everybody.